Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad you could spend time with us today. Always glad to have you uh, tune into the afternoon show. Side effects may include greater joy, happier days, better understanding of God's Word, and if you listen to the podcast at night, a more robust ability to fall asleep faster. That's the part of the hope. It's wonderful. What, yeah. what more could you ask for? Nothing. Nothing. That voice you heard was Tom Parrish. He's part of Guide Talk. The power panel today so far is Tom Parrish and Tom Brock. Uh, I just contacted 007. He is uh, wearing a tuxedo and on some mission, so he's not in today. And Dr. Peter Kapsner may or may not arrive uh, based on the fact that he's been filling in for Carmen in the mornings, and he kind of needs a break. So he may or may not make it. So it's Tom and Tom. Today it's the Tom and Tom show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So uh, welcome, gentlemen. Good to be with you, Bill. Hi, Bill. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. So we want to invite all the listeners if you have a specific question for Tom and Tom, now is the time to do it. They will give you uh, their perspective on whatever issue you might have. Maybe there's something from Scripture that you've wanted uh, some perspective on, or maybe you've got some other topic you'd like them to discuss. Let me know what it is. I've got the uh, text line open, ready to take your questions or comments. 877 933 877-933-2484. You know, one of the most famous verses, of course, is what? John 3.16. John 3.16. What were you going to say, Tom Brock? Leviticus (laughs) (laughs) 2.14. I figured you would come up with something. Good job, Tom. Never mind. Okay. Well, in John 3.16, it it says what, Tom? Do you know that for for memory? Yeah, for God so loved the world. There you go. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I love that verse. Me I too. love it. Yep. And it's a verse everyone knows. I think everyone should memorize. I agree. We do. We need to do a lot more Bible memory as Christians. Uh, and it, it something I'll tell you, Bill, when I would go and see elderly people that were dying or in the nursing home, they may not be able to talk to me, but you know what? They could repeat Christian songs. They could repeat Bible verses that they had memorized as kids. It was astounding. Um, that's just part of their DNA, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, because I love chapter 3, I want to back up a little bit to verse 5. Jesus answered, of course, he's talking to Nicodemus, and how, and Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus answered, "Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What are we understanding the word water to be in this passage? I'll let you go first, Tom. Well, you know, the way it's normally been understood for 2,000 years is that's a a reference to baptism. You're born of the water. We're born into a sinful world. We're born sinful. We're born again. Uh, through the waters of baptism, God gives us the Holy Spirit. It says in First Peter 3, corresponding to 
Noah being saved through the water, baptism now saves us. Not yeah. not the washing of regeneration, not the washing of the body of dirt, but uh, an appeal to God for. So I the the way Baptists can understand that verse is it's not a reference to baptism; it's a reference to physical birth when the uh, placenta breaks and born of the water. And this, uh, to me, that's always been a bit of a strange interpretation. So I think it's a reference to baptism. Um, and uh, I think it's important to be baptized. Uh, you're born again of the water and the Spirit. Can you be saved without baptism? I wouldn't try it. Uh, the thief on the cross was saved without baptism. But uh, the norm is when you, uh, in the New Testament, you believe and you're baptized. One thing I was taught a long time ago is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, that sounds good, except most of us don't do it well. What I mean by that is, like Bill brought up that point, what does that word water mean in this context, water and the Spirit? The goal would be to look at every other reference from Jesus in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, if possible, to see how water is used. And apart from baptism, apart from ritual washings, which the Jews did uh, there really isn't a whole lot of other references except parting through the Red Sea. So I agree with you, Tom. It comes down to that concept of baptism, but here's the problem we have. We baptize today, and we don't understand the covenant concept of baptism. Covenant is where the Lord comes looking for us. He makes his covenant with us before we have anything to say about it, and then he holds us obligated to it. Most Christians don't understand that, but we need to help them grasp that. That's how they've come to faith is because of the work of the Spirit, but it was the Lord himself taking the initiative. All right, let me add this into the equation. In John chapter 4, in verse 10, Jesus is talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Mm-hmm. So when you're born of water in the Spirit, might that water be his living water? I think you can tie the two together. I think, again, Scripture interpreting Scripture, it's a valid look at it and understanding of it. And the goal would be then to see how much further or how much uh, more depth the New Testament goes into with that topic. And, you know, the, the Word, here's the thing in Christianity that we, we've talked about. The Word of God is alive and active. We hear that in Timothy. It really has an effect. When people hear the Word, it can affect and change them from the inside out. So it's a living Word. It's not a dead Word. It's not a stillborn Word. It is a living Word. And that's part of this whole concept of covenant, the Word of God, and the power of the Spirit. And, you know, Bill, I, I'm a, I was raised Lutheran. I went to a Baptist college, uh, Bethel College in St. Paul. It was wonderful for me back in the 70s. The Baptists really taught me the gospel. But I remember meeting a, a young woman there who, you know, a believer in Christ. She'd never been baptized. And I, I said, really? And she, she just kind of had this attitude, well, I don't need that. And I'm thinking, hey, it's in the New Testament. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you know, be baptized, uh, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And actually, it's repent and be baptized, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I think there's errors. I think we some people take baptism way too lightly. Other people, I mean, I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran, and I heard somebody say a while ago that, you know, those Missouri Synod Lutherans, they all think they're going to heaven because they're baptized. And I don't like that either. 
Um, and, but, you know, the, and so here's what I've said. The, the Lutheran heresy is I'm baptized, I got my ticket, get off my back. The Baptist heresy is I prayed the prayer, I asked Jesus into heaven, uh, into my heart, I'm going to heaven, get off my back. Jesus said he who endures to the end will be saved. You know, Mussolini and Hitler were baptized. And I think it's possible to pray the prayer and ask Jesus in your heart. I think it's possible to be baptized and go to hell. Why? Because Jesus said he who endures to the end will be saved. So, you know, somebody, uh, when, when you go to a, a, a funeral, and I think this happened once, the lady comes up, you know, Pastor Brock, my godless uncle, I went to his funeral, and the pastor put him in heaven because he was baptized. Is that right? And I said, no. Um, so it's, it's, baptism is wonderful. Don't, don't underestimate it, but don't overestimate it. If you're baptized, you cannot live a life of sin and rebellion against God and go to heaven. That, that's Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin? The grace might increase, may it never be. And then Paul brings up baptism. Do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death, and we live a new life? So there you go. Well, baptism, the covenant concept, all of that has to have the source. The source is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are not responding to him and responding to what he has called us to do, we've missed the whole point. There are a lot of baptized people who never really come to know Jesus, and they have the opportunity. I mean, he worked in their heart. He he opened them up to things. They were part of a covenant community, but they never responded to him personally. And quite frankly, uh, there will be a lot of baptized people that don't get into heaven not because uh, just of the, the baptism issue, but they never really got serious about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the bottom line of the whole thing. He is the focus. And, He's the one we have to pay attention to. He is the Savior. And, you know, if I can say this too, whether you're a Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, charismatic, non-denominational, get baptized. I mean, it's, it's a big deal in the New Testament. And don't think you're um, above baptism. We need to be baptized, so call the church and yeah. schedule it with the pastor. You know, with all the problems in Minneapolis with the riots and everything, there are a whole host of Christians down there that are working in different denominations. They had horse troughs that they brought yeah, in and filled that. with water, and people would confess Jesus for the first time in their life, and they would be baptized right there in the horse trough. Yeah, it's I so impressive that. to see that. I mean, that is exactly the way the New Testament operated. Yeah, so let me know what the questions are. This is Guy Talk with Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. A couple of the regulars are out today, but that uh, is okay with me as well. Always good to give them a break, right? Yep. Yeah. So let me know what questions you might have for the Power Panel. Uh, 877-933-2484. Guy Talk for the next uh, 45 minutes. So we need your questions. Be right back. is here and I've got Pastor Tom Brock and Tom Parrish and one of my listeners Joseph just sent me a picture of the TomTom which is some navigational <laughs> GPS device. Wow, I need one of those. Yeah, it says TomTom just uh, help you navigate through the word of God. I like you know, it. I didn't know I didn't know you played sax so well. Though. Thank you. Well, wow, that was 
That was so good. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you don't pay attention. <laughs> All right, here's a question from my wingman, Terry. He said, uh, how do you approach a conversation with someone who strongly believes that religious views are a matter of personal conscience and not to be imposed on others? Oh, I love people like that. <laughs> I've had lots of conversations with them. And I will I will simply ask them, um, you know, where, what is your source of authority? Where do you get the right to say that? You know, if if you get the right to say that, why don't I get the right to say what That's I want right. to say about it? Yeah. And and I challenge people to uh, actually, I've said to people, you show me in the Bible where Jesus says that's the way we're to behave. Because they will usually reference Jesus in some form. I'll say, you show me, and I will start doing that. You know, and usually they can, of course, so they never can. And then I'll say to them, but let me tell you what he did say. And then you get into those those passages where he talks about making disciples of all people, you know, shouting it from the mountaintop, uh, being his living, you know, word. So I think it's important to not let people say those things and get away with them, but you don't have to do it in a mean way. You just simply come back with questions or look them in the eye and say, tell me your source of authority. Where'd you get that idea from? Yeah, I agree. When someone says, you know, uh, religion is a personal private thing, no one has the right to um, you know, try to convert someone and, and, and make that their viewpoint. Well, but that's your viewpoint that you're trying to enforce. Yeah. Both of us are trying to enforce a viewpoint. I, I love when somebody said, you know, when somebody says to you, there are no absolutes, you say, how about that one? What you just made an absolute. There yeah. are no absolutes. Is that one, is that one going to stand? You know? Yeah, I get that often as well. The people do not want there to be some absolute. I just had a, a guy not that long ago say, you know, I'm I'm okay with talking about, you know, spiritual paths, but if you come out and say that there's only one way, then I'm out of here. And, and you know, I like, I love to get that guy in an airplane with one parachute and say, we're both going to jump out. I get to shoot. You don't. And hey, maybe your way will work. We'll mm-hmm. see how you do at the bottom. Yeah. We don't think this all the way through. We are not logical with these kind of statements. We are emotional. When you're logical, you don't apply that to virtually anything else in life, only when you don't like what you're hearing about Christianity or about Jesus or about his commands. That, for people, is where they, you know, kind of throw up the wall. Yeah. And the, pers- and the person, Bill, that said to you, you know, I, I, I want there to be a plurality, not only one way. Well, again, he's making just as much an absolute statement as totally. you are. Oh, yeah. yeah. His, sta- his statement is, there are many ways. Your yes. statement is, no, there aren't. Yes. Both are statements of truth. Yes. Although, at least supposed truth. And I, I kind of, uh, with Tom's illustration, I, I do this. I, I say, let's go to the top of the IDS building. And you tell, and you tell me you're going to jump. And I say, don't jump. There's this thing called gravity. And you say, well, I'm glad gravity works for you. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. And you jump and you die. So, you know, there are absolutes that you can ignore, but you ignore them to your peril. And I, uh, I am uh, I just I'm hiking in the Black Hills today. I go see Mount Rushmore. Gratefully, it's still standing. They haven't um, dynamited um, Jefferson and uh, Washington off the face of the earth yet because they had slaves. But I'm on my way to to look at the four presidents, and uh, here is a Hare Krishna booth that that they have to, because of law, they have to let the Hare Krishna. So I pass the Hare Krishna group, and then on the left, 
I'm pretty sure they were Jehovah's Witnesses also working the crowd. You know what was sad to me? These people are zealous for false teaching. Why can't we Christians be just as zealous for the truth? We've got the truth. We've got the saving gospel. And I, I just wouldn't it have been great if there would have been five Baptist guys out there working the crowd, you know. But there you go. Yeah, well, we are zealous. <laughs> just so you know. This program is zealous. Yeah, we do believe zealous. this. Yep. Yeah. All right. Psalm 100, uh, chapter 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So is there a practical way to make Thanksgiving the dominant behavior of my faith rather than constantly asking the Lord for something? Yes, it can be. I had a home church last night at met at my house. We meet every other week as well as our regular church. And this was one of the topics, Bill. We really talked about this, which is interesting that you bring it up. Here's the bottom line. Anything worth doing takes discipline. Anything worth doing takes a plan to get there. I don't know. You know, I've been on a a diet now since January, and I've lost a lot of weight. I've got a plan I'm following. It works. Uh, I'm exercising. It works. You know, I stay away from certain foods. It works. Same thing is true when it comes to worship and praise. If you don't have a plan, and what I tell people is this, look, most of the time we go to the Lord in prayer, we're telling him what we need, as though he doesn't know. He already knows, of course. But you need to build in that every time you go to the Lord with a a prayer need, you also have to end with a thanks of some kind. In some way, you're giving thanks to the Lord Jesus for what he's done. You can do that with prayer. You can do that not only with your meals. You can do that in your relationships. And the power of that is that when you get into the habit of doing that, it becomes part of you. Mm -hmm. And a practical way to do that, I think I've been doing this for about 15 years. At night before I go to bed... I think back on the day, and I thank God for five things. And it just, it's, it's just every, some, virtually every night before I go to bed, okay, God, thank you that I, I didn't, that the guy, the truck didn't crash me like he almost did. And thank you, God, that I was able to share the gospel with that woman. And thank you, Lord, for my health. And you just, just think back through the day tonight before you go to bed and thank God for five things. And, and it's a great habit to do every night. Is it true, though, that you told me number five was always to thank the Lord for Bill Arnold and Guy Talk? Oh, I, I, um, next question, Bill? I'm just going to hang you out to dry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. um, Let me see. I've got to find the scripture verse. Um, Romans 12, 21. Does anybody have that handy? Romans. Got my, I got a King James Bible right next to me at this Get it, Tom. Black Hills. I just want to make sure I, I should read this here first before Romans. putting it. Yeah, here it is. I got it. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The question is, how can I overcome evil with good? Mm. <laughs> well, evil usually I, is done to us. We're talking in that context. If evil's coming from the outside, now there's evil within me. That's a different thing. But if evil's coming from the outside, it usually doesn't just affect me. It affects a lot of other people. Now, that doesn't mean I can necessarily go directly into the evil and do good to the evil to make the evil become good. But what I can do is do good with the consequences of that evil that has come around me. And that means helping others, listening to others, praying with others, feeding others, 
you know, getting the medicine if that's what's needed. And most of the Christians I know that are in war zones, and I've talked to quite a few of them, their understanding of what you're talking about, Bill, what you brought up is exactly that. Their understanding is that they take the gospel in very practical ways to people that have been affected dramatically by evil by doing good and bringing the name of Jesus in the process. They don't hide Jesus at all. They don't just give food and say, hope you're satisfied. No, we're doing this because of the love of Jesus Christ. And they have seen a lot of converts that way. And the people speak up and are willing to tell even their government officials it's because of the Christians and Jesus that we are here today. And I love I love international Christian concern. You can Google persecution.com, I think, mm-hmm. and I love Voice of the Martyrs. They are overcoming evil with good. Here are our brothers and sisters being, you know, beheaded in certain countries and families losing uh, the, the livelihood of their father. And, and they go in and they, they support the families, the widows, the orphans, and that's one way of overcoming evil with good is just writing a check to one of those organizations or volunteering for them. Mm-hmm. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. How important is that verse today? Mm-hmm. I'm part of a clergy Facebook page, and it's like I, 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 I check it way too much. I got to watch it. It's, it's like watching a train wreck. <laughs> there, are, there are some people on this page and they're clergy, some of them, and they're so absolutely rude. And there are certain people, I mean, especially there's like three or four uh, radically liberal people who just, there's one in particular who just insults people to the hilt if you disagree with her. Mm-hmm. She's, she's really good for our side <laughs> because she's so obnoxious. But who wants to believe like she does? And I think that's the point of the verse you just quoted. You know, if you're wise, you win favor with people. If you're uh, foolish, you know, there's the, I, I tangoed with this woman a few times on, on this Facebook page, and you'll learn quickly, you know, it's not fun to tango with the bear. And the verse, do not rebuke a scoffer, lest he hate you. Well, I, I tried to, I quoted to this woman, uh, Timothy, where Paul says, Timothy, Correct your opponents with gentleness. Perhaps, you know, you'll win them to the Lord. Um, I quoted that to her, and it did absolutely no good. So there are some people you just got to totally avoid. Mm-hmm. After first and second warning, it says, have nothing more to do with them. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a little break. Guy Talk is happening. Let me know what your questions are. We've got some great questions coming in. The text line is 877-933-2484. We'll take any topic, any subject, any verse, anything you'd like us to discuss. The Power Panel is Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. A couple guys out today, but that's A-OK with us. We're always glad to have whoever can assemble for the Power Panel. 877-93-FAITH. Be right back.
We are having guy talk right now. Guys that talk. That's what happens on Thursdays during this time. A lot of great questions are coming in, and I'm excited to uh, get your question as well. 877-933-2484. Doesn't matter what your question is. We'd like to hear it. Uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish is the power panel today. Gives them lots of talk time, which I know they like, which makes me happy. Here's a question from a listener. Carla said, uh, peace. Is God's peace coming from being right with him? So many times I think God's peace is the same as man's. Calmness, lack of conflict, etc. Please comment. Hmm. Well, Bill, this is reminding me of my childhood. And uh, my answer, in a, in a nutshell, my, my, brother, my brother and I are a year and a half apart, and we fought nonstop as kids. And we would ask... Mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she'd say, peace and quiet. <laughs> and no, no, Mom, what do you really want for Christmas? Peace and quiet. And uh, we, you know, there's there's no peace and quiet on this planet. Jesus said, you know, this world will give you trouble, but take take cheer. I've overcome the world. So, I, in fact, I think in many, many times, the more you serve the Lord, the more you get attacked by the world. But so the peace that passes and Jesus said, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but a sword from now on, I'm going to divide the families. So the, the peace that Jesus gives us, the peace that passes understanding is something we have within us, regardless of whether our family hates us or not. We know our sins are forgiven. We know we've got a purpose in this life. We know we've got a, a home in heaven. All that overrides the fact that people hate us. If you don't have the eternal perspective, you will never have the Lord's peace. That's just what you said, Tom, and I agree. When I was overseas, places like Bangladesh and Nepal, people there face persecution. It is not an easy place to be. And yet I discovered among those Christians there who could have been killed any day, who could have had their children taken away at any moment, living with a peace that I can only envy. I have never seen anything like it. And the reason was, like one guy said, I know that no matter what happens, Jesus will have the final word and I will be with him forever and so will my kids. And I thought, wow, there is nothing like that. And that's what we desperately need, you know, among American Christians. All right. Nice answers, gentlemen. You guys are... um as always, doing a nice job. All right, uh, here's a question from a listener about handouts for people who are homeless on the corner. Um, and the concern is, are they just going to take the money and go drink? And I thought that maybe I should uh, get them some of those little uh, tiny Bibles and put $5 in them, uh, not knowing exactly what to do. And who wants to go first? Oh, Tom's got a secure answer for this one, and then I'll jump in. Go ahead, Tom. So we had we had just about a month ago. You remember somebody else oh, yes. that called in with, with this one, and well, if I can give my answer again, the senior. Did I approve proceeded, of your answer? Uh, I can't remember. Okay, because I can't sit <laughs> but, through this again if I didn't approve nah, the first time. Well, here's the deal: when people are standing at the uh, stop sign collecting money, I never give it to them. Because I take my money and I send it overseas. I give it to local missions, you know, maybe in the United States. Um, And, you know, people will say, yeah, but Jesus said, give to whoever asks of you. But if you remember, I quoted St. Augustine in the 300s or 400s where he said, 
Yes, Jesus says, give to whoever asks of you. But he doesn't say, give whatever they ask of you. You might give them a kind word. You might give them a rebuke. If you remember, the man comes up to Jesus, Jesus, make my brother divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, no, who made me the judge over you? So there is an example of somebody asking Jesus for something, and he said no. Paul the Apostle says, he that does not work, neither let him eat. And, and read, uh, is it in Titus or Timothy, the, uh, the strictness with which the early church gave out money. I mean, you could not be put on the widow's list unless you fulfilled certain, uh, 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 certain criteria. So I, I, you know, if I think the idea of putting five bucks in a Bible hand in it, that's so much better than just handing away money. And so there's my 10 cents. That's actually a, a good answer, Tom. Thank you for that. Thank uh, you. Tom Parrish? I think that's a good idea, too. And uh, One of the things I learned is this. I mean, I, you and I both know, Tom, where we were at North Minneapolis, we had people wanting money, help all the time. And the one thing I learned out of that is I had to be convicted in my spirit from the Holy Spirit that this was somebody that I needed to give to. But the thing I began to do, and I don't give to everybody, but when I do give, if it's any money or if, I can, if I've got a track or I've got a Bible to give them uh, when I go by, I will always tell them, this money is coming from Jesus because he loves you and wants to lead and guide your life. I think of people come under the conviction that it's not just $5 that I can go spend on myself, but most people still have a deep inner reference, uh, a reverence for Jesus deep in their heart, even though they don't express it outwardly. And so I, I just simply tell them, this is a gift from him. You know, go in his peace. And, and you know, uh, again, the importance of buying a bunch of salvation tracks. I mean, I'm out of town right now. If I stay at a hotel, uh, I'll open sometimes <laughs> my wallet and leave the tip for the housemaid. Um, but I'll leave a track there, too, and a salvation message. So if you're at the restaurant, leave a good tip. Don't be stingy. If you're, especially if you're going to leave a salvation track, be, be healthy with your tip and leave a track. So I, I just say I've been in my old age here. I'm learning the importance of giving out salvation pamphlets to people. A good one is the Four Spiritual Laws, but there's a, there's a, all kinds of good ones. Just go to Good News Track from the on the internet and order from there. Mm-hmm. Tom, every time you and I went out to eat over all those years, I wound up paying. How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> you were you were being a blessing, Tom. That's what you were being. Hmm. <laughs> all right, another That's question. A lie, by the way. Okay, never mind. Go ahead, Bill. There's another question, gentlemen. The Bible says that one day we will give an account for every idle word spoken, mm. but also mm. says if we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, we will be forgiven. Will we have to give an account for the sinful words we spoke that we asked? Mm-hmm. Well, well, let me finish. Will we, be, will we have to give an account for the sinful words we spoke that we asked for forgiveness for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a kind of a common question. If I repent of my sins, is God going to bring them up on Judgment Day? And, and here's where you, you, this is Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle says, and he's talking to Christians. Some people think Christians are going to skip Judgment Day. No, we don't. And here's what Paul says to Christians, Second Corinthians 5, uh, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed according to what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And so I think the way it works is, 
I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm saved. I know going into judgment day that the final verdict is going to be not guilty, forgiven, uh, declared righteous because of the blood of Christ and the atonement. I know that's the final verdict. I don't think any of us are going to be whistling Dixie going into judgment day. It's going to be a day of awe. And Christians will be saved on judgment day. Uh, but there, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, as Paul says, there's two kinds of Christians. There's some Christians going to heaven with reward, and the other Christians have their house burnt up. Uh, they themselves are saved, but only is through fire. And so they go into heaven, but kind of they go smoking in. And there's going to be a judgment. Now, so if I'm repentant of something, you know, the other thing, it never says, God's going to put up on a big movie screen my sins for the whole universe to see. That's not in there. But it does say, you know, whatever is hidden will be revealed. And so I think if you re- this is my understanding. When I repent of my sin, God removes them from me as far as the east is from the west. He puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to talk to me about certain things on Judgment Day. Maybe the things that I never confessed. Uh, Where's that that in Scripture, Tom? Which which one? That he's going to talk to us about our our sin. I don't know if I believe that at all. Well, when it says, talk to us in the sense that he will recompense us according to what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. That's what I mean. I, you know, I don't know how that's going to work totally, but he will recompense us according to what we've done. I don't know if that means he talks to us literally, but that's that's the that's the word from is it Second Corinthians five, I think. The scripture is not as clear as we'd like it to be. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far as the Lord removed our, our sins, and you've got images of our sins being totally canceled and we don't have to be concerned about them anymore. You've got images of, as you're saying, Tom, and I've read those passages about being held accountable. I think the point here is that we need to be careful with how we talk. We need to be careful with what we think about, because the Lord is not going to overlook any of those words. In other words, the accountability is there. But on the day of judgment, who's going to absorb those sins? Who's going to absorb that? You know, I can't remember everything I've done to repent for, It just doesn't work that way. But what I do depend upon is the shed blood of Jesus to cover me. And it is not my intention to let my idle words go unchallenged. It is to change them. But my goal is on the day of judgment, Jesus' blood will cleanse me. If if I don't have Jesus' blood, if I'm not a believer, then I have to be accountable for those words. And that's frightening because I've said some pretty stupid things in my life. And there are plenty of people that can give witness to that. Mm, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm agreeing with you guys. It's okay. Yeah. What do you think, Bill? Well, uh, I don't think sin is discussed in heaven with the redeemed. I don't see any reference to it. I don't in either. that sense. Nope. I think well, this, the this judgment. Is before, this is before. This is before heaven, though. This is judgment day. Yes, but judgment day is the time when believers receive their rewards. Before they go to heaven, I think. And I know this gets confusing because the believers in heaven are already in heaven. So they come down for judgment day. In some sense, I think they do. <laughs> I think the I think the saints in heaven are still waiting for their resurrection bodies with the rest of us. And in a sense, and I don't know how this works, they're still waiting for judgment day. But Jesus also says that the moment you believe you've passed out of judgment, mm-hmm. you know, onto eternal life. 
I do believe that those of us who believe in Jesus and walk with him now are not going to face judgment in any way that we understand it. It's not a judgment to, are we going to go to heaven or not? Are we going to be forgiven or not? You know, the Lord going to bring up our past or not? None of that. But when you don't have Jesus, then there is nothing else to talk about except those things when the Lord, you know, talks to the unbeliever. So if you're a believer right now, um, you don't need to be concerned about judgment in that sense because you've passed out of it. Trust only in Jesus and his shed blood, and you're covered. That doesn't mean you're not trying to clean up your act. I'm trying to clean up my act all the time. But the point is, it is not my act that saves me. It is the blood of Jesus, and that's who I depend on. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I would encourage everyone to read First Corinthians 3. Uh, I, I agree that I'm going into Judgment Day. I have right now the assurance of my salvation because it's by grace alone through faith alone. Um, again, though, Christians will go through Judgment Day. Rewards or lack thereof will be determined. The guy that has his house burnt up in First Corinthians 3 still goes to heaven. He had the right foundation. But um, I, I think Judgment Day is there to keep us on our toes. And uh, you just got to let it sit at that, I think. All right. I think I'll take a break, and we'll be right back with more Guide Talk. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish is the power panel today. Let me know what your questions are. Some great ones coming in. 877-933-2484. Such a fast hour. Guy Talk is on for another 14 minutes. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Paris, great questions coming in. Here's one How do we answer people when they ask, Where is God when someone is killed and they have no faith in God? He's there. We're not, you know, He's not absent from that. But He did point out, and this is the hard thing for us. We want, when, when troubles come, we want the Lord to make sure it doesn't happen to us or to our kids or to our family. We want to be protected. But on the other hand, the reality is Christians die in plane crashes as well as non-Christians. Christians die in floods as well as non-Christians do. It happens to all of us because we live in a broken world. And because he has given us free will, not free will necessarily to do something bad so that we get in trouble, but free will in the sense that he doesn't demand, he doesn't simply orchestrate everything to the point where we have no choice anymore. We do have choices, and that choice is to surrender to Jesus. But he's there. I know I buried four children in my ministry. And I'll tell you, there's no tougher funeral than to bury a child and have to talk about that. Uh, I know of an, uh, two years ago, there was a horrible accident where a, a young child was on a swing near school, and somehow the swing got wrapped around their neck, and they were decapitated. Mm-hmm. How do you begin? This is where Christianity needs to step in, you know, and, and look at that and say, you know, the Lord himself grieves at those kind of things because that is not his original intent. And we are free, and we make mistakes. And think about the mistakes all of us have made that could have cost us our life but for whatever reason, it hasn't. So I am not, I don't come from a Calvinist point of view that it's all God's will and it's all God's doing. I come from the point of view that it's, we live in a sinful world that's broken and Jesus is continually reaching out his hand to us, but some of us suffer some terrible consequences. 
I'm a Lutheran, but I tend to come at it from a Calvinist point of view, Tom. I, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, you did. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, heard, I heard somebody say, uh, I read this, that somebody says, well, where was God when my son died? And the response was, the same place he was when his son died. And that God has sent his son to redeem the world. We're all going to die. Your son, your five-year-old child is going to die, perhaps, or your 95-year-old mother. We're all going to die, and it's because sin has come into the world. And, you know, I've, I've shared this before, but to me, this kind of, uh, this is a true story. Here's this, I think, five-year-old girl, we'll say, who was killed by a drunk driver. They're going to have two funerals, one in southern Minnesota by one pastor, and then they're going to northern Minnesota for a second funeral for the burial. The pastor in the, in the south of Minnesota preaches that, no, for sure, this was not the hand of God. God is not willing that a drunk should take the life of a five-year-old girl. They drive north. Different pastor preaches, well, we don't understand these things, but uh, God is in control of everything, and it was his time to take her home. And yes, this is tragic, but God was in control. Personally, I'm so much more comforted by sermon number two. And the question is, which one is more biblical? Well, there's some truth in both. It's a sin to get drunk. It's a sin to kill people. That's against the revealed word of God, will of God. It's also true, Romans 8, 28, God, God's in control over everything, even drunk drivers. God could have, you know, had the driver swerve 30 feet before her instead of on her. So God, so I, I take comfort, I mean, when I, when I had COVID about a, a month ago and was praying for death, I, I take comfort in the fact that had I gone, um, that would have been God's will. Had I lived, which I did, that was God's will. But, you know, we're, we're all, I mean, I, I felt some guilt because, and I know it's false guilt, but false guilt is still guilt. I, I, I was talking with three friends before I knew I had COVID. I'm virtually sure I gave it to all three of, of them, one of whom has died. And, you know, feeling awful about that. But again, God has his time and his days for each one of us. We're all, all of our days are numbered. And uh, so there you go. It sounds like Tom Parrish and I were praying for life while you were praying for death, and our prayers got answered. Therefore, God likes us better. Well, now I, what I can I say? My no, I'm, seriously, my prayer was this, God, if it's your will, of course. take me home. Yeah, of course. And so I, I, I did say that, but um, yeah, there yeah. you go. Another question, how do I talk to a friend who declares she's no longer agnostic but atheist? She has even stated that she doesn't believe in hope. Oh, I love those kind of conversations. Again, I would love to sit with that person and, and ask them questions because this is not where I hit them with a lot of theology. I start with questions about, tell me how you came to that conclusion. Why did you come to that conclusion? You know, what research have you done uh, that has brought you to a point where you believe you are now an atheist? Obviously, you've studied all the world religions and you've looked at them in detail. And obviously, you've looked at the Gospel of John in detail, and you know the seven claims of Jesus. Why don't you share with me those seven claims, and we'll talk about whether those are valid or not. And, Bill, I've never had a person who can come back to me and give me the seven claims of Jesus. I've never had an atheist be able to come back and give me any logical process. It is usually born out of bitterness, hurt, or anger. And we're trying to treat the problem. You know, it's kind of like, 
you know the old statement, I drink the poison hoping that you'll die? Well, that's kind of what we do with the Lord. We, we punish ourselves, or we say, I don't believe in anything, I don't want anything, uh, because we're really angry that things didn't work out in our life, not understanding that we have a Lord who wants to intervene and wants to give us answers. And you know, just for our viewers' sake, just in case they don't know, an agnostic says, I don't know if there's a God. An atheist says, there is no God. Those, that's the difference between an agnostic and an atheist. And I think Tom's right that generally people that go that route have not, you know, truly studied the Christian faith. But now and then there is. Who's the guy that wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Joshua he Harris. Asked, yeah, and he's turned his back on. And there, there, this has happened a couple times lately. These Christian ministry leaders have just ditched the faith. And I, and I won't say who, but a pastor that I respect Good, so much. Good, let's not much. say who. No, I respect him so much, but his son now is on the Internet railing against the Christian yeah. faith. But when so, you get into, you know, yeah. when you get into those conversations, and I've done a fair amount of counseling with people, they will present the problem that way, that I have, I don't believe this anymore or whatever else. What we usually don't see is what's going on under the surface in their life. And it's usually they're doing something they want more than they want the Lord, but they can't do it in the role they're in, and it doesn't fit any longer. So I I give anything to be able to sit down with those kind of people and really talk to them and not let them out of the room for 24 hours. We'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 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 there's a story that there's an atheist lecturer in Scotland, I think, that was going around uh, preaching atheism. And uh, he holds up a Bible and, and you know, kind of poo-poos it and says, in front of the audience, I'm going to make a challenge now. God, if you're there, in two minutes, strike me dead. And nothing happened. People held their breath. And after two minutes, he said, see, there's no God. An old woman stands up and says, you know, I, I just have a question. And I'm, you're much more learned than I am. She, she said, I have known Christ my whole life, found much comfort in my Christian faith. If when I die, I discover there's no God, no Christ, no heaven, what will I have missed out by believing on him in this life? And he said, well, probably nothing, ma'am. And she said, okay, one last, last question. If when you die, you discover there is a God, a Jesus Christ, and a heaven and a hell, what, sir, will you stand to lose? And according to the story, everybody stood up, applauded the woman, and the, the lecturer sat down. I, you know, my, my point to these people that want to go the atheist agnostic route, okay, but what if you're wrong? I mean, if I'm wrong, I get wiped out when I die. When they're wrong, it's eternal punishment. So I'd rather err on the side of just a healthy eternity um, yeah, so that's what I would say to someone. All right, a couple of minutes left. Uh, could you speak to what some would cons- what some would consider the fine line of holding each other accountable and legalism? I find the legalism argument is becoming a greater excuse to re- to remain in sin. Mm-hmm, I think that is true. I think you decide what you want someone to hold you accountable yes. on, and if you say, "Look, I want you to hold me accountable on." Um, my uh, foul language this week and check up on me next week. And then you do. And if that person gets gets to the point where he says, you know, I think it's too legalistic to do this every week, <laughs> you're trying to score them out of something, you know? No, I think that's a very good answer because 
when I teach people about accountability, and accountability has to come from within you. I have to say, Bill, you need to hold me accountable, or Tom, you need to hold me accountable to this. I'm giving you that permission. Legalism is when I come down on you and say, you do that again, or you're really in trouble for saying those kind of things. Now, that doesn't mean I don't confront people when they're wrong or say things that aren't right, but you always want to give people an opportunity to change their behavior. And the only way I know how to change my behavior is when I'm willing to come under conviction internally and I'm willing to turn to another Christian and say, please help me with this, hold me accountable. And that's why the New Testament's filled with all those one another passages. There were over 50 in the New Testament. We need to practice those about caring for one another, serving one another, listening to one another, be tolerant to one another. That's how we grow. Sounds good. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and talent and being available today to be on Guide Talk. You guys have done a nice job of carrying the weight of the show. Fun hey, to be no, here. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. No, I'm done. <laughs> it, it is always good to be here, and I, I love the questions you bring up, Bill. And we this is an honest conversation, and rarely do I see that, even among people sometimes in the church. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. That wraps up Guide Talk. Thanks for all your great great questions. If I did not get to your question, I've made a note of it, and I'll bring it up next time. Thank you uh, to Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish for uh, showing up and helping Guide Talk be so great. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Deep Thinker Thursday will resume. This time, uh, John Bloom is my guest, and Pam's not with him today, so it'll just be John. Looking forward to hearing what he's writing about and having church with John Bloom. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.